The Sloss Sports Show on Anchor.fm, weekly episodes highlighting and breaking down the biggest stories across sports. Make sure to keep up with the latest episodes and breaking news on Twitter by following at Sloss Sports Show and keep up to date with the latest breaking news around the NFL. The official site of the show, knoble87.wixsite.com slash Sloss Sports Report. And now, here's your host, Cole Noble. Hello, all you beautiful people. Welcome to another episode of the Slaw Sports Show. I'm your host, Cole Noble, a.k.a. Slaw. We're back here now for another episode this week, and today's episode is going to be jam-packed. We got a lot to talk about. A lot of stuff that went down the last couple of weeks. We got, of course, a super wild card recap in the NFL playoffs. Then we got the divisional round coming up this weekend. Four teams, or excuse me, four games this weekend, eight teams. See who continues on to the conference championships but we got a lot of big news to talk about Um, we're going to start today's episode in the nba before we get over back over to the nfl but in the nba a huge league altering trade has gone down yet again it seems like this always happens at least once a year in the nba a trade that just shocks the entire league um but this one wasn't as shocking there's been a lot of rumors uh, throughout this entire season, um, even during the uh, off season, the brief off season we had, but we all knew that this deal was going to go down. But the Brooklyn Nets have acquired James Harden from the Houston Rockets, and what turned out to be a four-team deal in the NBA. So you know, obviously this shakes up a lot. Um, we have a new big three again in the NBA now in Brooklyn with Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and James Harden. So a lot to talk about here, um, again, with the four teams. Uh, let's just go ahead and break down the trade first and then get into the nitty-gritty with Brooklyn. Uh, but Brooklyn will be getting James Harden and a second-round pick out of this deal. The Cavaliers will be getting Jared Allen, uh, Jared Allen and Tarian Prince. And then the Houston Rockets, they get Victor Aladipo, which I think is a big move for the Houston Rockets. They also get three first-round picks. Four first-round pick swaps and another first-round pick from the Cleveland Cavaliers. So they got four first-round pick swaps and four first-round picks in the future. So that's huge by the Houston Rockets being able to get the capital and also getting a star player in the league um, to replace the one that you know they're trading away. And then, of course, the Pacers. They're getting Karis LeVert and they're getting the 2020 uh, or the excuse me, the 2023 second-round pick as well. So a lot to hear to unpack with all these teams um, and all these players. Obviously, first, we're going to start with Houston before we get into the nitty-gritty with Brooklyn. But Houston getting Victor Aladipo, I think that was a big move by the Houston Rockets. Uh, they replaced one star with one slightly less, more of a star than James Harden. But you're pairing him up now with John Wall, another player they were able to acquire in the trade, uh, sending Russell Westbrook to the Washington Wizards. They got John Wall back for that one. So now they got John Wall and Oladipo leading the way here for the Houston Rockets. And they those two together, I think they still could be enough to get an eight seed out of the West and end up making it into the playoffs um, in the NBA. But we got a long season to go. Uh, but I think that's a big move. Um, obviously, something wasn't right between the Houston Rockets and James Harden. So they were able to get away from Harden, get him sent off. They got you know four first-round picks, four swaps. But Oladipo, I think, is the difference maker 
And that's gonna what's gonna keep this team afloat going forward without having James Harden anymore, no longer having Russell Westbrook. Um, they've lost all their star star players, but now you're adding Oladipo, and you also got uh, John Wall in the trade for Russell Westbrook. So I think Houston will still be all right and still has a chance um, to get into the playoffs this year as the eighth seed. But now let's talk about Brooklyn because after this James Harden trade, the Brooklyn Nets odds. To win the Eastern Conference went up to plus 300, the best in the entire conference, passing the Milwaukee Bucks. And is it on paper? It looks great. Yes, James Harden, Kevin Durant could be a top three player, you know, in the NBA, and then Kyrie Irvin. But in order for this team to really be successful with all this star star talent they have, you got to buy into the culture, and. You know, I'm not talking about Kevin Durant because Kevin Durant has been phenomenal this year. He's come back from his Achilles injury. He's been playing great all year long so far for the Brooklyn Nets in his debut season. And, you know, James Harden, the issue with him has always been with the Houston Rockets. So he gets out of the Rockets and now expected to come in with the Brooklyn Nets, expected obviously to start. I think the issues go away with James Harden. So the only one I'm really talking about that has to buy in is going to be Kyrie Irving. Because Kyrie back in his time with Cleveland, he didn't want to play Batman or he didn't want to play Batman and Robin. He didn't be he didn't want to be the Robin to LeBron James's Batman. So he goes over to uh Boston, it doesn't work with the Celtics. Now he comes over here now with the Brooklyn Nets and he was expected to have his own team, be um or not have his own team, but that's what he expected in Boston. Now he comes over to Brooklyn, he's back to being that number two guy uh, behind Kevin Durant, back to being that Robin. But now with James Harden coming over, I just want to mention a tweet that I saw that I thought was hysterical this week. Kyrie Irving's now becoming the Alfred, and it's even more funny concerning the fact that he's not even there playing right now for the Brooklyn Nets. You know, there's the issues with him um, not wanting to play, stepping away for a little bit. They saw him at a party with no mask, and now he's facing repercussions from that. The team's not letting him come back in and playing. And then now reports are coming out that he's been very distant with Kevin Durant. If all this happens with Kyrie Irving, this team, I don't think will be the team to beat in the Eastern Conference. Even though they get James Harden now pairing with Kevin Durant, Kevin Durant's looking a lot better. I'd still think that they need all three players to buy in, and it all starts with Kyrie Irving. I think they have you know, the team together right now with Harden and Kevin Durant to at least do something. But to be that difference maker team, to be the best team in the Eastern Conference, they need Kyrie Irving to step up and be that third guy and embrace his role and play. And if not, you might have to side here with Stephen A. Smith, who's already calling for the retirement of Kyrie Irving, because this is now his third team. If it doesn't work here, no one really would want this guy going forward. Uh, So this is a bust. Go in or go bust, I think, for Kyrie Irving. He has to buy in this culture that Steve Nash is putting together for this Brooklyn Nets team. And if he does, this team will be a scary team if Kyrie Irving buys into the culture and agrees to play. Uh, But that still has yet to be seen. And of course, I want to see James Harden in his debut game with the Brooklyn Nets and see how he starts to mesh with Kevin Durant. Um, But it's going to be interesting when all three actually buy in how this offense will work. So you got three players who always want the ball in their hands leading the offense down the court so it's gonna be interesting to see how they kind of stipulate that and how they fix their offense um, and fix it together going forward now with their three superstars 
but that was obviously the big news out of the in uh, the ML excuse me the NBA. So now we're going to go over to the MLB because we got some shocking news coming out today. Is that the Yankees have finally finalized their deal with star second baseman DJ LeMahieu. So they're signing him to a six-year, $90 million deal. According to ESPN, Jeff Payson, he is officially off the board. LeMahieu is going back to the Yankees. There's been talks all offseason long, and LeMahieu has been one of the biggest names um, in the MLB offseason so far. And, you know, initially he was looking to want a $100 million deal. That was said back in early December. But instead, he gets this $90 million deal, six years with the New York Yankees. and you know, this guy has been incredible. He's hit 336, 386, and then 536. You know, 36 home runs, 43 doubles, 129 RBIs, and only 195 games. And, you know, last year he finished third in the MVP voting in the AL and then won the batting title as well in 2020. And this guy, this is big news for the New York Yankees. I didn't think the Yankees would end up getting LeMahieu back this year, there's a lot of teams, the Dodgers, Mets, Blue Jays, Nationals, all showed interest this year in DJ LeMahieu uh, this offseason. So I didn't think it was he was really going to end up coming back with the New York Yankees. I didn't think that the Yankees were uh, going to make that move and be able to get him back. And being able to do so is obviously critical uh, for the team going forward, getting back one of their star core players, especially a guy in the middle infield. Uh, so I think that was a good move by the Yankees. Get LeMahieu back on board and also lock him down on a long-term contract. So that's the big breaking news we got coming out of this week. Now let's go over to the NFL. And our first topic of today's episode is going to be dominoes. Because the dominoes are starting to fall in the head coaching hires. Uh, two head coaches have already been hired as of yesterday on Thursday. And a third today on Friday morning has been offered a deal. So let's go ahead and step right up with Urban Meyer to the Jacksonville Jaguars. And this is something that we knew was coming. Um, and, you know, even before they fired Doug Monroe, uh, Marone, we knew that Urban Meyer was linked to Shad, to Sean Khan and this Jacksonville Jaguars team. And it was just a matter of time. The two sides were going back and forth. They met, you know, at least two or three times to, um, have interviews, have the meetings, you know, formulate and finalize this deal. But the deal has finally been done. And Urban Meyer spoke with the media today on Friday as the new head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars, their sixth head coach in franchise history. And the guy fits the bill. Um, in his career um, in college, he has a 187 to 32 record, has never had a season below five losses. Urban Meyer, I think, is the real deal. Um, a lot of people are always skeptical of college coaches coming to the NFL, and a lot of people have been skeptical of Urban Meyer with all the scandals, um, all those health concerns that you know had him step away from Ohio State and go over to Fox Sports, as, go into the booth, and stop being a coach on the sidelines, but now coming back to the sidelines as a head coach. And I think Jacksonville may have found their guy, especially when you take into account all the things that, are going to be changing in Jacksonville for the Jaguars this year, you know, getting presumptively Trevor Lawrence first overall. You got to have a college guy who is going to be there to groom him into the pros. And I think Urban Meyer fits the bill. Um, 
I mean, again, just talking about his resume, three national championships with two different schools. I think Urban Meyer was a, a great pickup by the Jacksonville Jaguars. And like I said, a lot of people are skeptical. Some say one way, some say the other. But I think this was a good pick um, by the Jaguars. I think he's going to really build this culture here for this organization going forward. And, you know, for Jacksonville, that's something they needed. Um, they needed someone to build this culture. And now they got that guy with Urban Meyer, in my opinion. Um, and obviously the issue, or not the issue, the questions with Urban Meyer have always been his cast, um, his supporting staff around him, his assistant head coaches. No one really knew um, going into it who he was going to have. He always said that he was putting his staff together. And uh, he was putting his staff together, and but no one knew who he was, who his staff was. They all the reports said that he was dipping into the college ranks and get some college guys. But now Scott uh, Linehan is viewed as the top offensive coordinator target for Urban Meyer's system. Um, so it's something definitely to consider a guy who's been in the league for quite a while now. And, um, you know, getting him in there as the offensive coordinator, if that's who they roll with, will be something interesting going forward. He's had a couple of issues here and there. Hasn't really been... Um, a very productive offensive coordinator. If anyone's been following that on Twitter, they've already, you know, started all the memes already about Linehan. Um, but I think the real kicker here might be defensive coordinator. What route they go there with the Jacksonville Jaguars? Um, they've already, you know, had an interview today, uh, or excuse me, requested an interview today with Raheem Morris, the interim head coach for the Atlanta Falcons. I think that would be a great pick um, for their defensive coordinator position. But still, that cast is still working out. Um, they're still pulling the contingencies here of who is going to be joining Urban Meyer. And again, they still have not hired their head, um, excuse me, their general manager for the Jacksonville Jaguars. That is also still up in the air of what they go with that. And of course, the reports now saying that Urban Meyer might end up getting the $20 million plus contract will make him one of the most highest paid coaches in the entire NFL. But again, I like I like the move by the Jacksonville Jaguars. I think that Urban Meyer is a guy who's going to build this program up. He's going to shape this organization in a very specific way, gainering toward you know his strengths. And you know, as long as the front office and what they do scouting wise isn't terrible, and you know, favoring certain colleges and all that kind of stuff, this could work out very well for the Jacksonville Jaguars, in my opinion. The only thing Urban Meyer has to, of course, pay attention to is once he gets his scheme and, you know, fits his plan and the motion of what he wants to run with this team and this organization, he has to watch out for the Chip Kelly effect. When it comes time to make the adjustments and teams start catching onto his schemes, Urban Meyer has to know, Urban Meyer knows that he must adjust um, in the NFL. It's the only way to survive. You can't run the same scheme year after year. So that's always been the kicker with college coaches, and that's always been their downfall in the NFL. But I think Urban Meyer um, could be the guy to figure that out and is definitely going to be the guy to build this program up in Jacksonville, build a culture there with this team, and get them back on the right track. So then late last night on Thursday, we had our second head coaching hire. And like I said, with that first one falling, the dominoes just continued to tick down um, until they're all falling 
So Urban, or excuse me, yeah, Urban Meyer was the first one to fall, and that led to the second head coaching hire, and that is Robert Sala getting a five-year deal with the New York Jets. And I think, uh, in my opinion, all I said about Urban Meyer, about how that's a great candidate for the Jaguars, but I think Robert Sala is the guy. I think he is the top-tier head coaching candidate um, in this year's cycle. Uh, just what he's been able to do with the 49ers defense. He turned them from the worst defense in the NFL, 32nd ranked before he got there, improving them now to a top five finish in back-to-back years. And, I mean, this year was the most impressive. He's lost pretty much all his players. Everyone talked about, you know, well, he had Nick Bosa, D. Ford, Richard Sherman, Fred Warner. He's had all these, you know, studs. You know, at one point had DeForest Buckner. Solomon Thomas on the defensive line. He's had Reuben Foster at linebacker as well. He's had all the talent on defense, and all the talk has always been, well, was it really Robert Sala forming this defense, or was it the defense getting the talent finally? But I think he answered all those questions this year with the amount of injuries they've had. You know, 85 um, you know, starters come in and out of the lineup all year long for the 49ers and what turned out to be a devastating year for them in terms of injuries. But he still finished as one of the top defenses in the NFL. And I think that was a staple on that question mark. But the real thing has been his leadership, I think. Rob Sala is the guy who's always firing up the team. You, you, everyone sees his gleaming head on the sideline screaming after a big play. He's got his own personal get-back guy to stay on the sideline because he wants to be out there celebrating with his unit. But this guy, he is a culture builder in my opinion, and one of the best I have ever seen in my time studying the NFL. I think Rob Sala is a great, great candidate to land this job for the New York Jets. It's a team who, you know, going back to the Todd Bowles days, going back, of course, to the Adam Gase era, they have never had this culture in place, never had a winning culture, never having this team mentality all around entire with the entire roster. And now I think this is a new era of the New York Jets. And I think this is a new culture that will begin to be, that will begin being built and is going to start getting brewing with Robert Sala leading the way. And on offense, that's always, of course, was the big question for a guy who's, you know, a big leadership guy, but also a big defensive guy. So what about the offense? Well, Rob Sala will be, will be bringing Michael LaFleur, the brother of Matt LaFleur, the Packers head coach. He will be bringing him in to be his offensive coordinator. He was the passing game coordinator uh, under Kyle Shanahan for the San Francisco 49ers. So he's getting another branch here off of the Shanahan tree. And how well this works with LaFleur, we could end up seeing down the line another LaFleur join the head coaching ranks, depending on how well he handles his offense. I think think Mike LaFleur will do a good job with this offense. The real question is going to be, what offense is he going to get? Is he going to get the two potential all-pro tackles in Penny Sewell and Mekhi Becton with Sam Darnold? Or is he going to get the offense led by Zach Wilson or the offense led by Justin Fields? So that's the big decisions that are now being turned to being made with the New York Jets. Of course, having the number two overall pick. Do they go quarterback? Do they go you know, a generational offensive tackle? Or there's always the possibility of trading back and getting more capital as well. So that's the issues there that they now have to focus on. But again, Robert Sala getting a five-year deal with the New York Jets. 
Great move by the Jets. I think that, you know, like I said, he was the guy. And I'm happy a team pounced on him as soon as they did because this guy was getting interviews left and right from every team. He was finishing up one interview. Another team had a plane waiting for him. He was flying out to another interview. He was a hot commodity this year during the head coaching cycle, and I'm glad the New York Jets got him. Like I said, the last couple of years with their last two head coaches, it hasn't been good for the organization. I think they finally got it right this year with Robert Sala. So then we go to today's news from earlier this morning, and that's that the Atlanta Falcons have offered Tennessee Titans offensive coordinator Arthur Smith. They offered him to be their new head coach for the Atlanta Falcons. And I think Arthur Smith, um, you know, of course, if you talk to Brad, a longtime guest on the show, fan favorite, he likes uh, Arthur Smith as his top guy. He thinks that he is the guy in this year's cycle. So no question that he's obviously being the third name mentioned, the third domino here in this domino effect that most likely end up going down at some point today. We're waiting on that news to break with them officially signing him as the next head coach. But the offer is there with Arthur Smith. Um, He's interviewed with the Falcons twice now and was scheduled to go over to the Detroit Lions to interview with them. But he has now called that off after hearing this offer from the Atlanta Falcons. So as expected, we're hoping that the deal gets done at some point um, At some point today on Friday. And he, he is officially signed on to be the next head coach. That is my belief at the moment. But I think Arthur Smith also has a resume here as an offensive guy. Um, what he's been able to do with the Tennessee Titans, I think will work really well here with the Atlanta Falcons. And, you know, of course, we're going to start with the resurgence of Ryan Tannehill. His career started to go down toward the tail end with the Miami Dolphins. Of course, we all know the story, trading him over to the Tennessee Titans. He comes in off the bench last year, leads him to that fairy tale story all the way up to the AFC Championship game. He resurged Ryan Tanhill's career, in my opinion. Um, Arthur Smith did as the offensive coordinator and got him back and you know, gave him that monstrous contract in the offseason to be their franchise guy led them all the way to the playoffs again this year before uh, they lost to the Baltimore Ravens. But we're going to be getting into some of those games here later on in today's episode. But Arthur Smith, he, you know, resurged, revitalized Ryan Tannehill. Derrick Henry, obviously, in his system, became the best running back in the NFL, flat out, I'll say it. You know, back-to-back rushing titles by Derrick Henry, multiple 200-yard rushing games. That was all in Arthur Smith's system. And he also produced two star wide receivers in A.J. Brown and Corey Davis, who had phenomenal seasons this year as well. And Corey Davis had pretty much of a breakout season, um, you know, going in to what could be his final year with the Tennessee Titans, which now, you know, might potentially be over if he gets a big deal here in the offseason and doesn't get re-signed. But still put in place two star receivers in this offense, revitalized Ryan Tannehill and turned and then had Derrick Henry into turning into one of the best running backs, or excuse me, the best running back in the National Football League. So how does this work out for the Atlanta Falcons? Well, first and foremost, you got Ryan Tannehill, or excuse me, you got Matt Ryan at quarterback, a guy who is looking like the last couple of years, he might need a little bit of revitalization and a resurgence in his game. So Arthur Smith here can do that again with Matt Ryan if they elect 
to keep him, which contract issues was looking likely that they are going to be forced into keeping Matt Ryan this year. So he has a chance here to revitalize Matt Ryan with his new offense. And the running game, he's got Todd Gurley, a chance to reproduce him as a top-tier running back in the National Football League, a guy who got benched um, there at the tail end of the season. So he has a chance here to get Todd Gurley back as one of the top guys in the NFL. And the the two-star wide receivers he has to work with this year are at you know, three scales above what he had to work with in Tennessee with Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley. So I think the Atlanta Falcons fans should be ecstatic for this hire. I think Arthur Smith is the guy. I said that last week for the Atlanta Falcons, and I think he'll be the one to get this offense back on track in Atlanta. And if they can get this deal done at any point today, I think this is a great move and a great hire um, by the Atlanta Falcons. And Arthur Smith, I think, has gotten a lot of buzz here the last couple of weeks, especially no one really was talking to him early on when we got into this head coaching surge. But I think Arthur Smith, from what he's been able to show this year, inside the NFL, this guy has a lot of people backing him. And, you know, good for him. I'm glad that he is finally getting this offer now to be a head coach. I think it's a long time coming for both Robert Sala and, of course, Arthur Smith. I think both guys are very deserving candidates, and I'm very excited that they're the first two, uh, two of the first three off the board here um, outside of Urban Meyer being the first one. But again, it all comes down to if they can get that contract done at any point today, um, which, again, I foresee happening, Arthur Smith will be the next head coach of the Atlanta Falcons as well. And then we got the um, you know two culture changes here going on with the New York Jets and Robert Sala and the Jacksonville Jaguars with Urban Meyer. I think three great head coaching hires so far throughout the dominoes. Um, But the effect is going to to keep going into next week. Excuse me, we've still got teams like the Lions, Philadelphia Eagles, uh, Houston Texans, all needing head coaches. So we still got a ways to go here. And, of course, we got the L.A. Chargers as well. Let's not forget about them. So still got four more teams here that need to fall in getting their head coaches. General manager hunt is almost wrapped up. Uh, I think we only got two or two or three left that are still vacant for the general manager spots. But head coaching is starting to ramp up here and then of here in this next week. And I can see them start falling a lot quickly here in the next couple of days. Uh, so we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to, um, excuse me, when we come back, we are going to discuss the Super Wild Card Weekend, break down those games, the highlights and performances from Wild Card Weekend, and go over and preview the divisional round of the NFL playoffs. Stick with us, and we'll be right back here on the Slaw Sports Show. Welcome back here to the Slaw Sports Show. Again, I'm your host, Cole Noble, a.k.a. Slaw, as always. Um, in the first half of today's episode, the first you know half hour we discuss. The breaking news in the NBA with the James Harden trade forming the new big three with the Brooklyn Nets. And we also broke down uh, the big news over in the MLB with DJ LeMahieu signing his new deal with the New York Yankees returning to New York. And then we went over to the NFL and talked about the domino effect starting to fall with the head coaching hires with two officially hired and one getting offered a new position. But now... Let's talk some playoffs in the NFL. 
So last week we broke down and giving our bold predictions and the secrets for success for the Super Wildcard Weekend, all the teams playing in those six games. But now we are down to eight teams, four games here in the divisional round. We're through Super Wildcard Weekend. We're now into the second round. We got the Kansas City Chiefs and the Green Bay Packers coming fresh off of their first round bye, set on to take on um, their opponents. But before we get to the divisional round, let's recap what we saw in Wild Card Weekend. So wind it back, tail of the tape. We got the Buffalo Bills kicked off Super Wild Card Weekend. Bills Mafia was back in attendance against the Indianapolis Colts. In my opinion, I've always said was the most balanced team in the entire National Football League. The Colts kept things close. Um, the Bills took off to a quick start in that game, but the um, Colts started working back in and started to keep things a little bit close there. They got a lot of help from the rest, especially there in that final fourth quarter, and ended up blowing the late comeback, and they lost 27-24. to Buffalo advances to the divisional round. Josh Allen stayed hot. Stephon Diggs got things cooking in the second half. And the Buffalo Bills continued to show that they could be an AFC powerhouse this year, taking out the Colts, a team who I think a lot of people weren't very high on. A lot of people very much underrated this team going in to the playoffs. The Colts were a very good team, and Buffalo won that in a very hard-fought game. And I don't want anyone to take any discredit that they won by three points against the Colts because I think the Colts ultimately could have pulled off that win against the Buffalo Bills, and I think that the Colts were one of the toughest teams to go up against, especially in the first round, wild card weekend. So Buffalo, even with the three-point win, I think that they are still a dominant powerhouse and a force to be reckoned with in the playoffs this year. And then we go to our second game window on that Saturday, and it was the L.A. Rams traveling to take on the Seattle Seahawks. And that was the you know triple-round matchup. We saw him twice during the regular season, two divisional opponents. And in this game, John Wolford was projected or expected to start. He came in and actually started that game. Jared Goff was active, but they moved him down to being the backup. But early on, John Wolford took a massive shot to the head and neck area from Jamal Adams. He ended up leaving the game in an ambulance going to the hospital. Devastating injury. But Jared Goff with the one thumb came in and kept the ship right. And with help, of course, from Cam Akers and the defense, who ultimately led to a victory there in Seattle, they sent Russell Wilson packing 30-20. to And what's going on with Russell Wilson? Uh, In the last couple of years, he's now 1-5 in the playoffs. Things have not been going great for Seattle the last couple of years come playoff time. And I think it's seriously time to start questioning either Pete Carroll or Russell Wilson's clutchness come playoff time because they have not been able to get it done. They have moved on from their offensive coordinator. They're in the market for a new one. Pete Carroll says he's wanting to you know, start revamping this offense and establishing the run and making the run the focal point of this offense. So no more of this let Russ cook nonsense. I think got him even there to the playoffs this year was the fact that they were letting uh, Russ cook early on. But again, they get sent home, and the Rams, with their hungry defense, move on to the next round. They got a little bit banged up, obviously, with Jared Goff with his thumb. Cooper Cup was a little banged up with his knee during that game. And Aaron Donald, a little banged up with his ribs. 
but I think all of them should be good to go um, for their divisional round matchup that we'll get into. And then the final game on that Saturday of Super Wildcard Weekend, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers traveling to Washington to take on the Washington football team. And this game, I think, was the most impressive performance I've seen from a quarterback, Taylor Henneke, a guy who came in week 17, or excuse me, week 16 against the Carolina Panthers. Week 17, they went back to Alex Smith there in that final game against the Eagles. But Alex Smith could not go in wildcard weekend against Tom Brady and the Buccaneers. So in steps Heineke. And a lot of issues transpired and, you know, a lot of questions if he could lead this team to upset the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at home. But Heineke shined in that game. He had two rushing touchdowns, or excuse me, two touchdowns, one passing, one rushing, put up 300 yards and a final interception there in um, in that game. Heineke, a very impressive performance, 26 for 44, had a 78.4 uh, rating. And, you know, between him and Tom Brady, they almost combined for 700 yards passing in that game. Heineke could have ended up earning himself a very nice backup deal next year going into this offseason. But ultimately, it was not enough for Tom Brady and the Buccaneers. Uh, Chris Godwin, Antonio Brown feasted with two touchdowns. And from then on, it was all Bucks field goals. Fourth quarter, they got a late touchdown from Leonard Fournette. That game was all over there. It was 31 to 23 final score Brady and the Bucks move on now we go to Sunday the first game in that matchup was the Baltimore Ravens and the Tennessee Titans the revenge game not only from last year last year's divisional round but also from earlier in the year when the Tennessee Titans they came out stomping on the logo uh, there's the issues with John Harbaugh coming out you know all the issues between him and you know, the head coach from the Tennessee Titans, Mike Rabel, all the issues going on there. And Tennessee ultimately won that game and staked claim on the the home field of the Ravens. Now the Ravens came into Titan into Tennessee to take on the Titans and had a lot to go down in this game. All of the talk about the, these two teams back and forth, all the disrespect that's been had, all the talk about Derrick Henry's big game last year in the playoffs, all the talk about Lamar Jackson. You know, can't get it done in the playoffs. He's going to be going 0-3. That was my prediction. Lamar Jackson proved me wrong. He got his first career playoff win against the Tennessee Titans, 20-13. to Derrick Henry was held to under 40 yards. Excuse me, I think exactly 40 yards in that matchup. Uh, Baltimore got it done. Lamar Jackson had a 48-yard touchdown run in that game. He was electric as always. He was a little slow coming out the gate, had that interception early on. But ultimately, Lamar Jackson got him the lead, and late on that final drive, the defense sealed it. Marcus Peters picking off Ryan Tannehill, taking the ball to midfield, and storming their logo, just as the Titans had done to them earlier. You know, the entire team following the game went straight to the locker room. No handshakes, no nothing. They move on to the next round. And then we get to the Nickelodeon game. The primetime main event, Nickelodeon Spectacular, the New Orleans Saints, and the Chicago Bears. This is the return of Michael Thomas and also Alvin Kamara back to the lineup for the New Orleans Saints. Uh, Michael Thomas, as everyone as everyone would expect, 
scored on a slant route in this game, but he was back in the end zone. And the New Orleans Saints defense was rattling Mitchell Trubisky all game long. He had, um, you know, a bad drop, of course, by Wims. That could have been a touchdown to make this game a lot closer early on. And then, of course, had the final touchdown there at the end, the final play of the game to Jimmy Graham. Final score of that one was 21-9. to And MVP Mitchell Trubisky, he might be done in Chicago. Um, the owner said that they're going to be keeping the general manager. They're going to be keeping head coach Matt Nagy. But I don't think that they're going to be keeping Mitchell Trubisky. I think they're going to give Matt Nagy and their GM one last chance with a new quarterback, one one last opportunity to get you the guy that you think will get you a contract here going forward and a new extension uh, with this team. And I think their job's on the line. And in that case, I don't think Mitchell Trubisky will be their guy that they want with their job on the line. So I think his time with the Chicago Bears is over um, for Mitchell Trubisky, a guy who, you know, go back to the that draft. They traded up for Mitchell Trubisky, passed on guys like Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson. He could now be done here and not get his extension going forward uh, with the Chicago Bears. But again, the Saints win that one 21-9, and they moved on. And then the final game, All of the talk going into this one, Cleveland against the Steelers. The Browns in the playoffs for the first time in a long time. Juju Smith-Schuster before the game said it's the same old Browns business as usual. But that wasn't the case. The Browns came out smacking them right in the nose, going out to a 28-0 lead. Who would have expected that first play of the game? Botch snap over the head of Ben Roethlisberger. Browns recovering the end zone for a touchdown. Get an interception, immediately go down and score with Jarvis Landry. Another two more scores there with Kareem Hunt. This game is not what anybody was expecting. They came back, though. The Steelers made it a little interesting there at the tail end. Uh, But ultimately, some bad decisions on the fourth and one by Mike Tomlin, electing there to punt it instead of going for it. And Cleveland, the Browns win it. 48-37, 48-37, to 37, Ben Roethlisberger also might have played his final game with his club here, but he put up a good one. 500 yards, four touchdowns, but the four picks was what really sealed the deal for the Browns, getting those four turnovers off of Ben Roethlisberger. And a guy who we look going into next year, a lot of cap situations with the Pittsburgh, uh, with the Pittsburgh Steelers, you know, a lot of free agents, guys like Juju Smith-Schuster, James Conner on the offense. Um, some couple of guys leaving on the defense. They might end up having to cut some veteran players, um, of course, like Joe Hayden, in order to you know control some of their cap and keep some of their guys. But the real issue is big, big Ben Roethlisberger's $41 million cap hit going into next year. That's going to be critical for this team. I think they might end up being forced into sending Roethlisberger into retirement. No way they can bring him back with that big of a cap hit. And, and, you know, keep any sort of offense going together in the next year. And from what we've seen from Big Ben, he's had all the issues with his elbow. He's had all the issues with his health the last couple of years. And his performance this past season, I don't think it was enough for the Steelers to think that they can realistically keep him for another year. Uh, with the price tag on his head, with the performance, all of that, I think it's finally time uh, for Big Ben to hang up the cleats. So that wrapped up Super Wildcard Weekend, and now we are looking forward to the divisional round matchups. And it's going to be kicking off tomorrow 
on Saturday with the Rams traveling to Lambeau Field, taking on yours truly, the Green Bay Packers. And in this game, all the all the news coming out here the last couple of days. Um, yesterday, John Wolford has been ruled out for this game. So Jared Goff will be starting. It's what we've all expected, but now official. Blake Bortles will be his backup. And the Packers looking like, looking like they'd get a big boost here late in the postseason. Added Jared Valdir, um, the tackle from the Indianapolis Colts. With the Colts out, they were able to pick him up off waivers. But he tested positive for COVID-19, so he will not be suiting up here against the Los Angeles Rams. So a big blow for the Packers, who looked like they might get a tackle here in to replace the loss of David Batiari. But that's not the case here for Green Bay. So they're going to keep, um, expect, in my opinion, expecting to keep the same offensive line they put out against the Chicago Bears in Week 17. It worked out very well for them. Rodgers was virtually untouchable, um, untouched in that game against the Chicago Bears. But this one, there's a lot of of tail of the tape to talk about between the Green Bay Packers and the um, Los Angeles Rams. And I think this is the perfect game to kick off the divisional round here in the playoffs. So you look at one side of the tape, the Green Bay Packers offense in 2020, obviously the best offense um, so far, you know, stat-wise of this season. Points per game, they had 31.8. First in the NFL, passing touchdowns with Aaron Rodgers, 48. First in the NFL, they were fifth in yards per game, tied for second with 21 sacks allowed. And the MVP of the NFL, Aaron Rodgers at quarterback. But then you look over at the Rams' defense in 2020. Points per game, 18.5 points allowed, first in the NFL. Passing touchdowns allowed, 18 first in the NFL. Yards per game allowed 281.9 first in the NFL and sacks. They have recorded 53 sacks this year, second in the NFL. And they have the defensive player of the year in Aaron Donald. So Aaron on Aaron, we got big on big here. Rams defense, Packers offense. And that's, you know, been all of the talk and rightfully so you look at the numbers, you you know, it's hard not to glare at these yet. Number one on number one, you know, pretty much down the entire scale of offense and defense here clashing in the divisional round of the playoffs. Obviously, that is the narrative for this game. But then you switch the tail of the tape to the other side. You look at Packers defense, Rams offense. This is the narrative that I don't think anyone's talking about. You look at overall secondary you got the number two secondary behind the Rams. The Rams had the number one secondary in the NFL this year. But the Packers, with Kevin King, um, of course, Jair Alexander, uh, Darnell Savage, and Adrian Amos at safety, they have the number two secondary in the NFL. And they're not going up against a potential reigning, or excuse me, a potential MVP quarterback like the number one secondary for the Rams are. They're going against Jared Goff with a broken right thumb in cold weather. He's been practicing all week long, wearing the gloves, trying to get used to it. That's the narrative no one's talking about. How is Jared Goff going to fare against this Green Bay Packers secondary? The Packers pass rush might end up coming together with the Smith Bros, Kenny Clark, and of course, Snacks Harrison, who Green Bay added late in the season. How is that side of the ball going to fare? 
because no matter how well the Rams defense plays Aaron Rodgers in this game, you know Rodgers will still put up at least 20 points. But can this Rams offense be able to compete uh, with what the Packers offense end up squeaking out against that defense? Are they going to be able to to replicate what their defense is doing on the other side of the ball? And it's all going to lie, of course, with Cam Akers. He had a big game last week against the Seattle Seahawks, had a huge game earlier in the year against the New England Patriots. And with the issues with Jared Goff's thumb, the issues that could be going on with Cooper Cup and his knee, you would think that this game would be run on the ground with Cam Akers in this one. But you're going up against the Packers, who gave up less than 100 yards to Derrick Henry there in a snow game in Green Bay. Could potentially end up having another one uh, here tomorrow on Sunday. So, and, you know, from all the reports from Green Bay, you know, from Zadaria Smith and Preston Smith, the interviews they've had throughout the week and their press conferences going into this game, they said that they've been preparing solely on Cam Akers and the ground game. They're going to make Jared Goff throw the ball with that injured thumb. And no one's talking about that side of the tape. And I think that that's where the Packers defense, the Rams offense is where this game is going to get really tricky and where this game is ultimately going to be won as one of those two sides. Because on the other side, you know the Rams defense is going to do what they're going to do. You know the Packers offense is going to do what they're going to do. They're going to be neck and neck this entire time, but it's going to be the Packers defense against this Rams offense that I think will ultimately decide this one here in Lambeau. And another thing just to throw out with this game, you got Sean McVay, head coach of the Rams, against Matt LaFleur, head coach of the Packers. Two guys who are basically like brothers. They've been friends for pretty much life. But Matt LaFleur said the gloves are off for this game. It's a heavyweight bout, and they're going step uh, toe for toe, step for step in the ring on Saturday. So now we get switched over to our second game of the divisional round. We switch over now to the AFC. We got the Baltimore Ravens and the Buffalo Bills. And in this game, we're expecting snow. This will be a snow game as of right now on the radar. And Lamar Jackson has never played in a snow football game in his entire career. Not in college, not in high school, not yet in the pros. This is his first game. He said he's a little bit worried about it, how well he's going to be going. Um... How well, of course, he's going to run the ball in the snow. He's never really been in this situation before. But the Ravens, I think, have to take advantage and get to an early lead against the Buffalo Bills. The Colts did a great job on defense, holding Buffalo to only 14 points at the half. Had the lead going there in, um, into the half against the Bills. But the Ravens must have a commanding lead. They must have all of the momentum going into halftime against the Buffalo Bills because we all know Stephon Diggs will turn it on in the second half, and it's game on from there um, for the Baltimore Ravens. So it's going to be a big game here for Baltimore, obviously on defense to show that they're one of the top tier. Also um, for Wink Martindale, the defensive coordinator, um, he hasn't had any interviews for a head coaching job. Peter Schrager on Good Morning Football will tell you how much of an embarrassment that is that no one has even given this guy an interview this is their chance here against the Buffalo Bills. Shut them out defensively. Do this for Wink, like uh, Peter Schrager said. But on the other side, Buffalo continue to stay hot in this one. Keep Lamar outside. 
Do not let him run inside. Do not give him those lanes. He will torch you just like he did the Tennessee Titans, like he did on that 48-yard touchdown run. You cannot let this guy get inside. He's too athletic, too hard to bring down. Keep him outside. Keep the passes outside. Create the turnovers there with your defense. And keep staying hot on offense. So that's the two Saturday games. Now we go over to Sunday. And Sunday kicking off is the Cleveland Browns against the Kansas City Chiefs. Can the story go on for the Cleveland Browns? Last year, the fairy tale story was the Tennessee Titans. This year, it's looking very much like it would be the Cleveland Browns or the Cinderella story of the playoffs this year. The Browns are back to full health. Uh, unlike the Pittsburgh Steelers game, they will have Kevin Stefanski back calling the team as the head coach. They're getting Denzel Ward back, the number one corner. Having him back in the lineup will be huge going up against Tyreek Hill and this Kansas City offense. But how is Cleveland going to call this game? That's going to be the kicker. How is Stefanski calling the defense, and how will he operate the offense in this one? Because defensively, you got to find a way to limit at least two of the three, if not all of them. And Patrick Mahomes, Tyreek Hill, and Travis Kelsey. I've said it all year long. The formula is there to beat this team, but how are they going to do it? And also, you got to think with the Chiefs' offense, it's looking trending highly. That they will have running back Clyde Edwards back, Clyde Edwards Alaire back in the lineup as their starting running back. So, another thing you got to keep an eye on. But can the Cleveland Browns catch Kansas City asleep in this game like they did against the Pittsburgh Steelers? Kansas City is coming off the bye. Maybe my little, little bit of an underrated here. Um, might be underrating the Browns here coming into town at Arrowhead. So, Cleveland, another hot start here. They could catch the, the Kansas City Chiefs off guard and you know come out to a bit come out to a lead like they did against the Steelers. But you'd have to think they need at least a 30-point lead in order to even consider this game potentially won against Patrick Mahomes. The way he's able to operate that offense, they can score and turn on at any point of a game and be right back into it. So this one is going to be fought the entire game. For the Cleveland Browns. So how are they going to operate on defense? How are they going to control that big three for the Kansas City Chiefs? And on offense, are they going to roll Baker Mayfield out with the pass? Or are they going to stick to their ground game with Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt? How are they going to run this offense going forward in this game against the Kansas City Chiefs? Again, have a great defense. Probably not as great as the Pittsburgh Steelers, but they definitely caught that defense off guard in that one. I, you'd have to think that Kansas City might be a lot more prepared here going in to this one. So the Browns, if they want to keep their story alive, they have to fight in a big way here in this game. And then the final game of the divisional round on Sunday night, we got the Tampa Bay Buccaneers going to the Superdome, taking on the New Orleans Saints. And this is the final battle. You know, it's the old school movie um, going in, the final battle here. The climactic finish between Drew Brees and Tom Brady. This one is for all the marbles. Um, in a year where Drew, uh, Drew Brees said that this could be his last run here as the quarterback for the New Orleans Saints before he finally hangs the cleats up. This is his last shot here to take on the guy he's been neck and neck with their entire careers. 
And like I said, this is the final battle for Drew Brees. He has to defeat Tom Brady once and for all. Brady can send him home and take all the records for himself. A lot on the line for these two quarterbacks in this game. But looking at looking back historically at the two um, at the divisional series, how it really plans out, it didn't play out. Um, or excuse me, how it plays out. Looking at teams who have played each other in the division going into the playoffs, the tide has favored historically the team that is two and zero in the regular season. They make it three and zero historically, the majority of the time, and the Saints. Week one took down Tampa Bay 34 to 23. And we all know the primetime game where the Saints took them down 38 to 3. Tom Brady in the offense was non-existent in that second game. So the tide favors the 2-0 going into the three game or going into the third game. So the tide is favoring the New Orleans Saints, but it's ultimately going to come down to which offense is going to be contained in this one. you got weapons on both sides. The Saints got Michael Thomas, Jared Cook, um, of course, Michael Thomas, Emmanuel Sanders. But then you can go over to the Buccaneers, Mike Evans, Gronk, Chris Godwin, Antonio Brown, um, Leonard Fournette at running back. Which offense is going to be contained? Both defenses have um, the power at any point to contain these heavyweight offenses, and this will be a heavyweight fight between these two teams, not only between Brady and Breeze, but with these defenses against these high-powered offenses. Both defenses, I think, match up very well against these two uh, against these two high-powered offenses, and this is going to be a great game. It's going to be a lot of back and forth, potentially a lot of turnovers on both sides, and a lot of points in this one. So Brady, Breeze, final battle. Who moves on and who goes home in this game to finish up the divisional round? I think a perfect conclusion to this one as well. And also a perfect conclusion to this week's episode. That's all we have. Um, Just another quick here throw in on Monday. We had the national championship game. Alabama winning 52-24 to against Ohio State. A game that I called in Alabama's favor as a blowout. Pretty much was in that one. That one was over very quickly and of course the big news Nick Saban passing Paul Bear Bryant for the most national championships and as a head coach of all time so just want to throw that in there that also happened this week but that is all the time we have for today's episode so thank you all for joining me for another episode of the Sauce Sports Show hope you guys enjoyed it share it with your family share it with your friends Um, but again thank you for all the support and we'll see you guys next time peace